You're listening to Oh Shit, I'm the Boss Now with your host, Jackie Koch, the podcast with all the tips and tools to help you succeed when all of a sudden you have the realization that you're the one in charge. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the show and episode four of the Back to the Basics series. This one may not be all of that glamorous, but it's soups important. Making sure your business is following all of required and established protocols, procedures, and like being in compliance with the law. And first, it's important that you realize that there are different federal, state, and local regulations that you need to follow depending on where your employees do their work. It doesn't matter where your office is. If your employees are working remotely, you need to follow all of the local laws to where they are doing their work or where they live. And so I'm not a fear monger and it like really drives me insane, but I do think it's important for you to realize how critical some of this stuff is. And I'm going to start out with a fun fact. This was this, this stat was written about in 2019, but from 2000 to 2019, the U S corporations paid out nearly $3 billion in civil rights and labor lawsuits for allegations that they were not complying with different laws. So long and short, you got to know the hot button areas so that when you're making decisions in your business, you know where the risky areas are and you know when it's time to get an expert involved so that you can appropriately weigh the risk. Now, I do want to have a disclaimer on this episode that a lot of these things we are discussing are laws and I am not an attorney. I am not an employment attorney, but I do keep up to date on what's going on so that I know how to guide my clients and and make decisions. Um, But a lot of this stuff, if you're worried about it, you should consult an employment attorney. So um, that is my disclaimer. Um, And I also am going to say, this might get me in trouble with, (laughs) you know, employment attorneys, although most of me are kind of the same as me. Um, but there's definitely black and white HR folks who, you know, don't operate well in the gray, but I believe it's my job to help clients understand the risks on the different decisions that they're making and the potential outcomes so that they can make decisions accordingly. There are definitely times when rules are rules and and I'm always like, don't kill me. Don't kill the messenger, but I got to tell you this. But a lot of times it's like educating my clients. Okay, this is the law. This is how we, what we need to do. Um, this is what I suggest, you know, all of that stuff. And, and most often they, they follow with what I suggest, but, um, I definitely feel like it's my job to, to work more as an educator to work through some of these things. So not that we're really doing that on this podcast. I just felt compelled to share that in case you ever want to work with me in the future. (laughs) So When you are first, you know, really going through what I'm going to call like a compliance checklist, there's a, there's a few steps that you want to take. And, and, and I I listed out an order that I think makes sense to do these things. Now you can do them out of order, but these are all things that you need to get done. So the first thing that you need to do, step one is make sure that you have the correct documentation on file for the different types of workers you have supporting your business. So you likely have two different types of workers. You have an independent contractor and a freelancer who are essentially the same thing, 
or you have employees and a W-2 employee, which means they are an employee of yours, you're paying payroll taxes on them, all of that jazz. So you likely have those two different types of folks supporting your business. When you're looking at creating documentation for them, I'm going to talk about independent contractors first. So what you want to make sure you have in place is a contractor agreement. No matter how small of work somebody's doing for you, you want to have a document that lays out the terms of their work, the scope of what they're doing for you, um, you know, how your payment terms, the, the contract terms. You want to have all of that stuff in place um, because it really helps clarify any misunderstandings. You know, I've had a few folks on the show who've hired contractors before or just paid people as contractors and didn't really lay these out and wish they would have. So it's best to do that right away. It also, in the agreement, you also want it to affirm that you two are in an, not in an employee, employer employee relationship. You want to affirm it does not say that or I guess you want to say that you are not, you want to explicitly say you are an independent contractor and you are not an employee in the agreement. And most agreements you find are going to have that language. Um, and I, I do want to also preface that just because you have an agreement that said that you've both signed that says you are not an employee employer relationship, that doesn't always hold up, but it's definitely a step in the right direction. So make sure you have that agreement in place. And think about if you want to have a non-disclosure agreement, an IP agreement, you know, what are they working on in your business that they could potentially steal or, um, you know, share with the wrong people. And perhaps you want to have an agreement created and attached to the contractor agreement about those things. And then you want to have them fill out a W-9 form. This is a, an IRS form that's required so that you can submit the appropriate tax info at the end of the year. Um, there's also an international version if you have contractors abroad. Um, I don't remember the name of that off the top of my head, but you could just Google that. It's like a W something. It's something W9. I don't remember exactly what it is. So that's what you want to have in place for independent contractors. Now, when looking through the appropriate paperwork for W2 employees, it's definitely different. So the first thing you're going to want to have is an offer letter. So these, an offer letter oftentimes is called an employee employment contract. And I want to clarify the difference because I've had clients use employee contracts and as well, and I would say 99.9% .9 of all my clients actually use offer letters, not employment contracts. And I highly recommend unless you are in a unique situation to not use an employment contract. If you are going to, get it reviewed by a lawyer. So I'll talk a little bit about the differences, but essentially an offer letter really just spells out the basic terms of the employment you're providing. It informs the new hire of the job itself, general expectations, start date, compensation, you know, all of those things, um, where an employment contract outlines a lot more things in detail. So it, it has a lot more information on like non-competes. Um, it may have start and end dates. And I think that's the thing that gets most people in trouble is that you're entering it into an employment contract that's very hard to break. So if you accidentally say that 
you know, comp will be revisited in six months. Guess what? You're revisiting the comp. If you mention what it's going to be adjusted to, if you have an employee contract, you're going to have to. Um, a lot of times there's dates in there of employment, you know, starting on this date and, you know, we'll review your pay in a year. Well, that kind of implies that they're going to be an employee for for a year. So you just really want to be careful, um, and not have binding contracts. Um, in an offer letter, you definitely want to have, um, a note about an at-will employment. Every state except Montana, surprisingly, allows you to have at-will employment. At least that's what I read recently. That, that might have changed. Don't quote me. But most states allow that, and it's essentially an employment clause. That means you and your employee can terminate the relationship at any time with or without cause. Super, super important. So that's the first thing. Look for an offer letter. And maybe you have a non-disclosure agreement or an IP agreement, something that's specific to employees as well. Um, super, I highly recommend you do that. And then once they're employed, you have to fill out two forms. One is an I-9 form, and it is basically a form that's used to verify the identity and the employment authorization for people that you hire in the U.S. This is only a U.S. form, um, but you have to fill it out within 72 hours of their start date. So within their first three days, that's when you have oftentimes maybe been at, or you've probably been asked for your like social security card and your driver's license or a passport, that's to fill out your I-9 form. And essentially those documents prove your right to work in the United States as well, states as well as your identity. There's a bunch of other things you can provide, which are listed on there, but those are, are often the most common. Um, and you have to retain these documents for up to three years. Who would have known? Um, so make sure you know that. I-9 form. And then a W-4 form is required. And this is just a form, again, for taxes so that you can withhold the appropriate taxes from their payroll. Um, and that also needs to be completed. There's no strict deadline on when that needs to be completed, um, but important that you have them do that. So that's the first step. Make sure you have the appropriate paperwork in place and on file and signed. Um, step two, Make sure you're classifying your team members appropriately. Um, should they be an employee or should they be an independent contractor? Unfortunately, you don't really have the ability to just decide. Um, there's certain criteria that has to be met. And honestly, by default, almost all workers are considered employees until proven otherwise. I have a whole podcast episode on these differences in the archives, so go give it a listen. But it's super important that you review your workers to decide if they are classified appropriately. You're going to get into the most trouble when you're classifying somebody as a contractor when they should really be an employee. So that is something to look for. Um, if you've done this work and you know, the first two things and everyone on your team is truly a freelancer and contractor, there isn't much more you have to do from a compliance perspective, but knowing some of the other things that I'm going to talk about here in this episode, they're going to help you be ready for when you do make those first employee hires. So I suggest you continue listening, but wanted to let you know that there's not much more you have to do right now. So 
As it relates to classifying team members, um, if you find that you actually have employees and not contractors, you're going to want to make sure you understand the difference between a non-exempt employee and an exempt employee. There are different rules that apply for things like meals and rest breaks, compensation, clocking in and clocking out. And I also have a whole episode on this in the archive, so highly recommend you go take a listen. So the second step is reviewing the classifications of your workers, both from an employee and independent contractor relationship, and then from a non-exempt employee and exempt employee relationship. Step three, make sure you know the minimum wage laws based on where the employee lives and does their work. I guess it's not where they live, but it's where they work. If they're a remote employee, they have to follow the minimum wage laws where they live. If they come into your office, they follow the minimum wage laws where they do their work, which would be your office. Um, I actually sat on a legal update last week and I learned a little fun fact. There are over 100 different minimum wages across the country and half of them, so 50, are in the state of California. Not a shocker having lived in California and done this stuff for eight years, but um, 100 different minimum wage rates. So you've got to know what that is. And honestly, my advice is you literally just go to Google and you say, minimum wage requirements in blank city, um, and it'll populate it all. Um, you can also Google. So if you're trying to figure out the minimum that you have to pay somebody a salary, because there is that as well, you can Google salary exemption threshold in blank city, and that will pop up how much you have to pay them on a salary. So minimum wage requirements is hourly rate. Salary exemption thresholds will let you know, usually will help you find the salary required. And word of caution, just make sure you're looking on the actual state websites and not just random places because people will post this stuff all the time and you just want to make sure you're actually like looking at the state um, requirements. Um, If you can't find any for the state, it usually means they're just following the federal requirement. Um, so you could just, you know, do federal minimum wage, federal salary exemption. It changes, but, um, if you can't find it for a state you're in, they may just follow the federal. Step four, get your employment law posters and get your policies buttoned up. Um, if you have an office, you actually are required to have updated employment laws posted in your office in a communal area, break room, behind the door of the break room are great places for that. But they have both federal and state-specific laws, and you have to update them every year. So put a recurring reminder in your calendar to order these in December every single year, and you'll know that you have them. If your team is entirely remote in the U.S., you can also Google electronic labor lot posters and buy yourself some of those and you can email it to your team every year, but you need to get them over to your team. Um, it's definitely, it is a requirement. And then get your handbook created and over to your team. Um, and an employee handbook really is just a, a, um, compilation of the policies, procedures, working conditions, behavioral expectations, all of that stuff that guides your employees' behavior at in the workplace. Um, there's no like actual requirement to have a handbook, but it definitely helps you stay, um, it helps avoid risky areas if you have, or, or claims if you have policies for a lot of things such as FMLA leave. Um, there's a lot of things like that. I guess I won't go into a laundry list. You could Google a handbook to see what goes in there. Um, and, but 
having a handbook created definitely is helpful. I would say definitely when you get to about five or more employees, a handbook is, is, is definitely a great resource. And then there's some other information that I think is just interesting for you to know. You do not probably, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably don't have to worry too much about these, but it's interesting, I think, and will be worthwhile you learning this, that there are various laws that kick into place when you hit certain employee headcount thresholds. And it's usually full-time employee thresholds. There's federal ones and there's states. I'm not going to list them all here because I just don't know that I could, but I'm going to give some examples so you kind of understand what I'm talking about. So if you have 50 or more employees, you generally have to follow um, FMLA leave um, requirements, and that's Family Medical Leave Act. It's basically um, employees get up to 12 weeks off um, for protected medical leave. So like birth, adoption, major surgeries, things like that. Um, and it's not always pay. It's not by the federal law. It's not required to be paid time off. Certain States do require amount of pay. Um, and in California, they have some that require, um, I think it's, if you have 20, it's either 20 or 25 employees. Um, they have another leave that a different leave that kicks in. So you just want to be mindful and look into like employee thresholds in the states in which you do business. Another example is if you have 50 or more employees, you're usually required to provide health insurance to your team um, due to the ACA. Um, there's also a lot of states that have anti-discrimination and anti-harassment training if you only have five or more employees. So that's a big one that actually some of you listening to this podcast may need to know. And then there's like, if you have a hundred more employees, you're required to do um, EEOC reporting to the federal government. Um, if you have 250 more employees, you have to do OSHA reporting. So just different thresholds to be mindful of, of as you're scaling your business, if you get to 30 or more employees, you probably need a full-time HR person. Um, if you have 50 to 75, you probably need two different folks for different reasons. And if you hit 100, 250 employees, you already have some HR folks on the team that are ensuring you're in compliance. But I just think it's um, interesting to know that those exist. So I share all of this stuff to educate you and definitely not to scare you away from building a team, but really just to make sure you know this stuff exists. And um, quite frankly, you know, I want you to know that it exists so you know what to look at in the trigger areas. Um, and as soon as you have five or more employees, you're going to want to find an HR expert that you can connect with so that you know the things and the, you know, all of the things you can talk through scenarios that are happening in your business. It's just best practice to have that. Um, and you can definitely find some, um, and I'm really excited to share actually that we are rolling out a really awesome plan soon, um, over at my company, people principles that will give you the support you need for all of this stuff so that you have someone in your corner to keep you in the know of changes, um, and you know, just keep you covered from a compliance perspective. And also just to have a cheerleader to talk through some of the hard stuff that comes with growing a team. Um, this plan will include access to templates, policies, handbooks, all of that stuff that you can create 
and use for your own business. And then you'll have access to what I call phone an HR friend. <laughs> um, when you're having, you know, employer team challenges, like you, maybe you want to, you have to have a performance conversation with someone, or you want to terminate someone. Um, you want to implement something new like performance reviews or happiness surveys, and you just want someone to talk to you about it. All of this stuff is going to be included in that plan at a super reasonable price so that you can make sure you're covered. So if this is something you're interested in, you can actually sign up for updates as we roll this out. Um, there's a link in the show notes here and everything will start rolling out towards the end of this year so that you can be prepared for the 2023, holy cow, um, year and kind of make sure you're, you know, on the right track for the new year. So super excited that this is in the works and, um, it's been on my mind for a long time and it's finally coming to be. Um, so that is a basic checklist on compliance. And next episode is all about finances and when to know when you're ready to start building a team and super excited for you to, to listen to that interview with my friend, Shannon, as always, I'm so grateful you tune in. So we'll, we'll chat with you soon. Speaking of the power of people, I'd be honored to read your written review of this show. If you enjoyed what you heard and have suggestions on how to make this show more impactful, please show your support by taking a few minutes to let me know what you think. See you next time.